You may not know the name Kenneth Harmon, but you might recognize his picture. We're going to put it up for you. This is Kenneth Harmon. Uh, many people know him now as Sad Papa after his granddaughter tweeted this picture of him. You see, Mr. Harmon had invited his six grandchildren over for dinner, and he cooked hamburgers for all of them, but only one granddaughter showed up. He was so sad, and his granddaughter who was there felt so bad. She took this picture of him, she tweeted it out, and then it was picked up and retweeted over and over again and posted all over the internet. It just seemed to strike a chord with people. It really seemed to touch people deeply in their hearts. Now let's imagine for a moment that instead of this picture, the picture was of Mr. Harmon standing on an empty basketball court with a basketball under his arm. And the story was that he had invited his six grandchildren to come and play basketball with him, but only one granddaughter showed up. Well, that would be sad too, wouldn't it? It would be sad. But I don't think it would strike the same chord as the picture you just saw. I don't think it would have touched people's hearts the way this one did because there's just something about sharing a meal. There's something about mealtime together, about breaking bread together. It just has such deep meaning for us. And friends, I think that really sharing meals is something that makes us fully human. Because if you think about it, most animals forage for food on their own, but we human beings, we seem compelled to share meals together. There's something about sharing a meal that conveys belonging and inclusion and love in ways beyond words. Perhaps that's why so many of Jesus' post-resurrection appearances took place in that context. First, Jesus appeared to two of his disciples on the road to Emmaus, and he made himself known to them in the breaking of the bread. Then he appeared to all of them, and he ate a piece of broiled fish. And now we have our text this morning, this story, where Jesus appears to his disciples early in the morning on a beach where he is cooking fish over a charcoal fire. It happened sometime after the first Easter. We don't know exactly when, but it was long enough that the disciples had had the time to go back to a familiar place, to Galilee, and back to a familiar activity, and that was fishing. They weren't fishing for sport, of course. They were fishing to make a living. They were fishing to feed themselves, to keep clothes on their backs and a roof over their head. So John tells us that seven of them go out in the night to fish. They're all experienced fishermen, and yet despite their best efforts, working all night long, they don't catch a single thing. That is when they hear him. He calls to them from the beach, and he says, haven't you caught anything? No, they say. Well then, put your nets down on the other side. So they do, and when they pull them up, they are so full of fish that they're about to break. Then one of them says, it is the Lord. And no sooner are those words out of his mouth 
Then Peter, who's always brash, always impetuous, jumps into the water and sort of half swims and half runs to shore, and there he finds a charcoal fire. Jesus standing over it, grilling some fish. Friends, can you put yourself in the scene right now? If you need to close your eyes to do it, do that. Put yourself in the scene. Can you see it in your mind's eye? Can you see the warmth of the fire, the light, the crackle of it? Can you smell the the fish being grilled and the, the smell of the sea air? Can you take that in? Can you hear the wind and the waves? Can you see Jesus there? Look closer. Can you see the detail that John wants us to notice? It's the charcoal fire, friends. Because this charcoal fire is meant to remind us of another charcoal fire. The only one mentioned in the entire Bible besides this one in our story this morning. This other charcoal fire, you see, was the one that the soldiers were keeping warm by outside of Caiaphas' palace on the night that Jesus was arrested and tried. It was the fire across which those Roman soldiers squinted and spied Peter in the dark. It was across that charcoal fire that they called out to Peter three times, are you not one of his disciples? To which Peter said across that charcoal fire, no, no, and a third time, no, I tell you, I do not know the man. Do you see, friends, that that charcoal fire is a symbol for Peter of his cowardice? It reminds him of the fact that he abandoned Christ when Jesus needed him the most. And yet, here we have Jesus on the beach early in the morning, standing over a charcoal fire saying, come and have breakfast. That's all he said. That's all he needed to say. I could preach a thousand sermons about forgiveness, and none of them would be as eloquent as Jesus saying those four simple words over that charcoal fire to Peter, come and have breakfast. Do you see, friends, why I would call this a resurrection breakfast? Of course it is breakfast with the risen Lord, but more than that, for Peter, who had been through so much, who had been racked with shame and guilt, those words spoken over that charcoal fire by Christ were truly life-giving. Have you ever wondered why John includes this story in his gospel? I mean, he's already told us that Jesus has been raised from the dead, and He's also told us that Jesus has appeared to the disciples and said, peace be with you. Why does he feel the need to tell us a story about breakfast on the beach? Well, friends, I think it's because John wants us to understand 
that resurrection begins now. We don't have to wait. That there is nothing that we could ever do, nothing that we could ever say that would cause Jesus to take his friendship away from us, to turn his back on us permanently. For heaven's sakes, friends, Peter left him to be led away to his death, and yet Jesus still forgave. He says these simple words coming at breakfast. Such a simple phrase, such a simple concept, and yet so profound and so life-giving and something that we can't hear enough. This truth that we can be forgiven. Because so many of us have our own charcoal fires, do we not? Those reminders of our sins and our mistakes and our failures we try so hard. We say again and again, we'll do better, Lord, I'm sorry. And then we mess it all up. Because we're human beings, those charcoal fires sometimes seem like they're everywhere. And there are many of us who labor under this belief that somehow what we've done is so bad, or we've messed up one too many times, that we are not redeemable. We see those charcoal fires everywhere we go. But friends, this text tells us those charcoal fires don't have to dominate our life. Jesus wants to forgive. Jesus will forgive if we will but answer his invitation to breakfast, if we will only come to him. You know, not that long ago, I, uh, I ran into a, a couple that I hadn't seen in a really long time. I knew them, though, really well. But about 10 years ago, he violated the marriage vow. I was there. I was there. When he said in front of everybody in that church, and a voice clear as a bell that he would be true to her, forsaking all others as long as they lived. I heard him, the congregation heard him, but he didn't do it. He didn't do it. It was terribly destructive to her, to him, to the children, to their friends, to their parents. They weren't members of my congregation, so I only saw them on occasion. But I did know they went for counseling. They had a lot to work through together. I also knew that for a while he stopped going to church. He just felt so much guilt and shame. He felt uncomfortable in that sanctuary where he had stood up front and said that he would be true. So an aside, friends, as a pastor, one of the most heartbreaking things for me is that for some people, in some times, in some places, 
even the church can seem like a charcoal fire. Well, on the day that I saw them, they looked happy. They seemed that they were doing well. And so I told them that. I told them that it was so good to see them, and I was so grateful to see that they were happy together. And they both said, thank you. And then he said, forgiveness goes a long way. And she nodded her head. And I knew what he meant. Of course, he was referring to the forgiveness of his wife. But friends, he looked so relieved. Resurrected, if you will. That I think he was also referring to the forgiveness of his Lord. Don't you? I don't know when, and I don't know how. But it seemed that at long last he had accepted Jesus' invitation to breakfast. Friends, it's just true that we human beings mess a lot of stuff up. We sin, we fail, we make mistakes. We hurt ourselves and we hurt other people. And as a result, a lot of us have charcoal fires hanging around. But please hear me. That's not the last word. That's not the last thing. A basic foundational belief and truth of our religion as Christian people is that our God is a God of grace. And that when we are sorry, God forgives. So I hope, I hope you have accepted your invitation to a resurrection breakfast. Because for those who have ears to hear, there is a voice that calls to us, that offers forgiveness, redemption, and resurrection. Come, says Jesus, and have breakfast. Will you pray with me? Most loving God, how grateful we are that you forgive. Lord, we admit that sometimes we feel surrounded by those charcoal fires, those reminders of our sin and of our guilt and of our shame. And Lord, we ask that you would continue to call out to us and that we would have the courage and the open heart to come to you and accept your grace and to know resurrected life in the process. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.